Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, Jesus, the King Who Came to Die, a study of the Gospel of Mark. This dynamic, fast-paced book gives the story of Jesus the Messiah, God's Son, the King, who came to suffer and die to save His people. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. I'm going to have uh, two uh, after hours are going to come out this week. One of them is going to be more just kind of a general working through things, but a uh, second one's going to be a little bit of a technical question uh, that we're going to go through here. Jesus refers to a high priest who wasn't technically the high priest at that time. So we'll, uh, I'll have both of those this week, and it's just a reminder that each and every week we not only have the teaching that's in here almost every week, uh, we do put out a video that we refer to as after hours. Uh, which is, as I've said before, kind of like the director's cut. Uh, every week I do a lot of study and there's a lot of things that don't make it into the teaching because you all want to get home before dinner tonight. And, and I do as well. And my vocal cords definitely do. So there are things that get left on the floor, so to speak. And usually I'll take one of those and just turn it into like an eight minute or so video where you can dig in a little bit deeper into the Word. God's Word is so rich and so full, there is no way I could ever cover it all up here. This is just a little bit more of an opportunity. So those come out every Tuesday this week. There'll be one on Tuesday and one on Thursday. And uh, you can dig in and find out a little bit more about uh, what God's Word is teaching in this passage. Man, so we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 2. You're going to be able to follow along on the screen. And also... Uh, you can look at it in your Bibles. It's in your booklet. I'm going to be using the uh, New International Version this morning uh, as I read. So Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 23. Hear now the word of your sovereign Lord. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered into the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. May God bless the reading of his word. So we're going to put a picture up here now and see who remembers who this is. Tevia, yes, Tevia, you remember Tevia. He had that great song and dance, If I Were a Rich Man. And Tony Marsh has volunteered to come forward and do that dance for us right now because his son Caleb would love to have that on video. You <laughs> Wasn't that a great song, you know, If I Were a Rich? And, but the real focus of the movie, if you remember, is actually captured in the song Tradition, Tradition. Because he's a man who's wrestling with the traditions he's been given and the world seems to be changing and as how is he going to, to be able to survive and work. And actually in a key scene, there's another very memorable song, Sunrise, Sunset. 
And if you remember, that song is because they are beginning the Sabbath. You remember the mom is there with the candles, and she's doing everything. And I bring that up because Fiddler on the Roof is a great movie, and everybody should watch that movie multiple times. But obviously, I'm really bringing it up because this idea of tradition, and also specifically traditions around the Sabbath, are very much at the center of the controversies that are happening between Jesus and the Jewish religious leaders really throughout the gospel, but especially in this series where we're looking at five controversies and really magnified this week's text and next week's because there are two weeks in a row where Jesus is having to deal with the traditions around Sabbath and he is breaking those traditions. And so it becomes a question of what really is the relationship between the Son of Man, Jesus, he makes a pronouncement today, and the Sabbath. And what does that mean for us? So that's what we're going to be looking at for two weeks, the Son of Man and the Sabbath. So let's dive into the text. Now note, you know, the, the Pharisees here have a complaint that your disciples are violating the Sabbath. There is the Sabbath controversy in verses 23 and 24. We're told that one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. Now, what's interesting here is on the Sabbath, you were hardly allowed to walk. So either the, the Pharisees were ignoring that Jesus was violating the distance that was allowed, but I think the more likely scenario is they're right outside the town. Okay, they're, they're not far from where they are because you're not allowed to walk very far uh, on those particular days. But they're in the fields, and the disciples are hungry, and rather than waiting until they get home, they start picking some of the crops, uh, somebody's crops there, and they just start eating the food. Now, this is again an area where we look, and it seems so different to us, because in our culture, if I'm wandering in your garden and start picking food and eating, what is our response? Hey, stop stealing that guy's food. That's actually not the problem. That was by law allowed in Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25, it says, if you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to his standing grain. So in other words, you can't go in and start harvesting his crops, but you can just grab a little bit to eat kind of a snack as you go along, which is exactly what the disciples are doing. They're not harvesting, they're not reaping, they're just simply grabbing a little bit of grain and eating it as they go along. So the problem is not that they're picking grain from someone else's field, which would be our problem today. That's what would get you in trouble today. Here, the problem is not what they're doing, but when they're doing it. And clearly the issue in this passage is the Sabbath. And how we say this, a, a little trick you can learn without going to seminary, if you look in a passage and the same word occurs five times, how important is that concept? Right? See, I just saved y'all thousands of dollars. Right? Now, thankfully, they taught quite a bit more than that in seminary. But notice here, five times the word Sabbath comes up. This is clear. And also notice there's a little way that they oftentimes do this. Notice it's the, the second word in the passage in English, one Sabbath, Jesus is walking. And then it's also the last word in the passage. It's the very beginning of the passage and the very end of the passage, which is what's known as an inclusio. It's saying, again, this is what is central. Pay attention to this. So this is an issue regarding 
the Sabbath. Now, that's unusual to us because even many Christians today, the Sabbath is not something we think about. In fact, it goes very against our culture, but it was central in Judaism. So what I want to do is take just a few minutes here to talk about the Sabbath and Judaism. And this kind of sets us for this week and next because the Sabbath is very central to what it meant to be a faithful practicing Jew. And let me list five key things that, the, that are part of the clear biblical teaching on the Sabbath. Number one, the Sabbath was part of God's design in creation. Before there was an Israel, before there was a fall, there was a Sabbath. In Genesis chapter 2, we read, By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. Now you may say, I don't see the word Sabbath in there. But that's because in English, our word rested is actually the Hebrew verb Shabbat, from which the noun Shabbat comes. It's just the verbal form. The idea of Sabbath comes out of this rested because that is actually what uh, Sabbath is about. Sabbath means to cease, to stop to rest. And so here at the end of the creation week, God is letting us know that Sabbath is necessary. It is an essential part of creation. And we know that because God doesn't get tired. God doesn't need rest. He's doing it as a recognition to us because as the, as the eternal non-created God, he doesn't need rest. But as finite created beings, everything else in creation does. And so notice there in verse 3, God blessed the seventh day, made holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done, which sounds kind of repetitive, but that's how, actually how it is in the Hebrew too. It's, he, he's working, he's working, he's been doing that, and then he stops. And he ceases, and he's letting us know this. So even before there's an old covenant, there is the principle of Sabbath, and it applies to everyone. Whether somebody is a Christian or not, a Jew or not, Sabbath is a principle that's important to them. That's point number one. Number two, the Sabbath was furthermore a covenant sign between Yahweh and Israel. It's a sign between God and his people. Notice in Exodus chapter 31, verses 16 and 17, the Lord says, the Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. So notice they have to observe or keep or guard is what that word means, the Sabbath. Um, and it is a covenant. And then notice in verse 17, it will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he abstained from work and rested. So God has said, look, I gave this. It's applicable to all of creation, but there's a special thing between me and my people that the Sabbath is a covenant sign that you are my people, that you recognize this. I'm not going to put it up on the screen, but in fact, if you, if you notice and carefully read in Exodus 32, 
when the Sabbath is given in the Ten Commandments. We're to, Israel was to rest because of creation. The Lord had made the earth in six days. In Deuteronomy 5, when it's repeated later, the reason given is because I redeemed you out of Egypt. And so, as all human beings need Sabbath, but as the people of God, we rest not only because of creation, but because of redemption. We rest for both reasons. It's part of not only our humanity, it's part of us being the new humanity, the people of God. So that's the second point. Third point, the way the Jews were to observe the Sabbath was that they were not to work on the Sabbath. Uh, Exodus chapter 35, verses 2 and 3, there's many, many places where we can see this. I'm just picking, you know, one for each of them. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it must be put to death. How serious is God taking this? And, and if you read in the Pentateuch, you can see where actually people were put to death for going out and picking up sticks to build a fire. And the Lord said, do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. You light the fire before the Sabbath starts and it lasts through Sabbath, but you do not work on the Sabbath. The word means cease, stop, rest. And I'm telling you, you need to cease, stop, rest. That was central to what it meant to observe the Sabbath. Now, the fact is, did Israel do this well? No. Part of the Sabbath, and there's a Sabbath principle, is it was not only that the Israelites were to rest, even foreigners in the land were to rest, the animals were to rest, and even the land had to rest. Every seventh year, you had to let the land lie fallow, and you were not allowed to plow it. You had to let the land rest, because all of creation is to enjoy Sabbath. Well, the Jews did not do it, and were actually told that violating the Sabbath years was part of what led to the exile. Part of why they went into exile and why the exile lasted 70 years was because for 490 years they had been in the land, had not practiced the Sabbath years, and so God basically did the math, and that means it was supposed to get 70 Sabbath years. The land will now get its Sabbath rest. Look in 2 Chronicles 36, 21, which interestingly enough, just as a little sideline here, the Jews order their, their Bible, their Testament, the Tanakh, differently than we do. Second Chronicles is the last book in the Old Testament in their ordering. This is one of the last verses in the Old Testament where God is reminding them why they went into exile. Second Chronicles 36, 21. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rest. All the times of its desolation it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. So if you're a Jew and you're reading your Bible through, you come to the end of it and what you've got right at the end is, remember, you went into exile and you were there for 70 years as Jeremiah prophesied because the land had to get its Sabbath. How serious should the Sabbath be taken? Very seriously. Now, what's interesting, however, is we need to remember this is not to be a burden. This is a, this is a gift, and it is a delight and a joy. 
many places that we can see that in the Old Testament. I'll just go back to the very first verse that we had and then bring in one from uh, Isaiah. In Exodus 31, 16, I, I read this a minute ago, but did you notice it? The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath celebrating it. Celebrating. This is supposed to be joy, okay? And then secondly, in Isaiah 58, 13, and 14, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. Notice, even, even your mouth, slow it down. Don't speak idle words. I don't like that part, no. Uh, he, notice God saying, you need to rest, but this is not a burden. This is a delight. This is a joy. This is me giving you permission. Kick back. Put your feet up. Enjoy a day off. Make it a celebration. And if you read works, uh, one of my favorite books on the Sabbath was written by a Jewish rabbi, a modern Jewish rabbi named Abraham Heschel, that is on the Sabbath. And what he refers to is, for, for faithful Jews, very often the Sabbath has been called the queen. It is, it is the day that is to be welcomed in at the beginning of Shabbat, and it is a freedom. While the rest of the world feels like it has to go constantly, this is a freedom. This is a joy. We are to celebrate that God has told us we can cease, we can stop, and oddly enough, the whole universe keeps going. Okay, that's what it was meant to be. That should be a joy. But interestingly enough, that's not the way it's often been received. That's why the joy, if it had been a joy, the Jews would have been doing it the whole time they were in the promised land, but they weren't. Even after the exile, we see in Nehemiah and other places where they keep violating the Sabbath. When other nations ran into the Jews, they said, they didn't view this as a joy and say, what a great idea. They said, you people are lazy. And when I talk to many Christians today, I've actually had pastors say, the devil doesn't take a day off. God did. <laughs> who, who are we following here? Work with me on this, okay? Right? Again, I don't have to have a doctorate in theology to figure this out. I'm supposed to be following Jesus, not the devil, okay? Because it's viewed as a burden by many. Even Christians, like, why would I want to do this? Why do you want the freedom to take a day off? It's a gift. But see, here's what happened. Because Israel had failed so miserably, the leaders of the Jews began creating all kinds of extra laws. Because see, we humans are expert at getting around laws, right? Right? So I remember a few years ago when I was serving on the grand jury here in Anne Arundel County, one of our first cases, a guy had like 47 indictments against him or something ridiculous. And I was like, was this like John Dillinger on a years long spree? Turns out it's not. It was a guy who was like speeding, evading arrest in his car. And then he got off and no joke, he got on like a bicycle 
and went away, and the cops were still chasing him. And then he got off, and he jumped in something trying to get out on the water. I can't remember if he was swimming or he was a boat. And every one of those had to have separate indictments and laws. And you know why? Because somebody had said, well, you said evading arrest, but I wasn't in a car, and the law says I'm in the car. So then they had to add things like bicycles and boats and on foot, and every one of them got separate indictments. I was like, this is the problem with our system. Laws just keep getting added on, right? Well, the same thing happened in Israel. People aren't watching over it, so we've got to define everything carefully. So the Lord said don't work. A a writing known as the Mishnah, which contains, we get a lot of our information about how Judaism was practicing things after the exile. The Mishnah broke work down to 39 separate categories. That couldn't be done. God said, don't work. Well, we're going to go up on you and make 39 different ways. It included things like plowing, which would clearly be work in an agrarian society, and hunting and butchering. It also included tying or loosening knots. If you could do it with one hand, you could do it. If it took both hands, that was work. If your shoe comes untied, wait till after Sabbath. I wish I was making this up, but I'm not. Sewing more than one stitch. Writing more than one letter. If you fall and you dislocate your foot, wait till tomorrow to get it fixed. Okay, anybody starting to see a problem? Okay. In the Dead Sea Scrolls, It forbade carrying children. Okay, parents, the young child, can you imagine that? For 24 hours, that baby's crying, no picking that baby up. You can't carry them. You cannot do this. You cannot help an animal give birth, or this will sound familiar to Jesus' thing, because the Dead Sea Scrolls is even more than the Pharisees. If an animal falls into a pit you may not save it. Remember, Jesus actually asked that. If an animal falls into a pit, don't you guys go get it? Because the Pharisees allowed that, but the Dead Sea Scrolls did not. The answer is nope. You just better hope it survives. Okay? Now, what's interesting is they realized we don't actually have biblical basis for all of this. So, in the Mishnah, it says this. The rules about the Sabbath, festal offerings, and sacrilege are as mountains hanging by a hair. For Scripture is scanty, and the rules are many. Amen and amen. They're almost proud of that. We're going to see in a moment, Jesus is not impressed. Okay? Mountains hanging by a hair. Because God gave very simple rules in the Scripture, we've broken it down to all of these things. And so what had happened was that the tradition regarding reaping on the Sabbath, because that's what's going on in this passage. In the Scripture, in Exodus chapter 34, here's what God said. Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the plowing season and harvest season, you must rest. That's Exodus 34, 21. So if it's plowing season, you can plow for six days and plant crops, but on the Sabbath, you don't go out and plow, which the Mishnah said. And during harvest season, 
You can harvest for six days, but you cannot go out there with your sickle and be cutting down the grain on the seventh day. So it clearly prohibited going to the field to actively harvest crops. What farmers did regularly, you had to stop that on the Sabbath day. But the tradition said, yeah, but see, some people, they're rubbing that grain together. We got to stop that. Now, notice Exodus 34 does not say you can't rub grain together. In fact, as we saw in Deuteronomy a, a couple of minutes ago, Deuteronomy said, look, when you're going through your neighbor's field, you cannot put a sickle to it. You can't be harvesting, but you can just rub a few grains together because that's not harvesting. But see, here's what a religious spirit says. Well, Jesus, you might think it's not harvesting, but if you'd asked my advice, you'd have known better. That's in essence what they're saying. So they're saying, no, you can't do it. Even rubbing grain together is prohibited. So the disciples had not violated actual Old Testament commands, but they had clearly violated the traditions that had developed around the Sabbath and the commands that were there. They had not violated the hair. They had violated the mountain that was hanging by the hair. So how is Jesus going to reply? Because this is done. You could not be in Israel and not know about these laws. They're, they're practiced and enforced everywhere. And interestingly today, I read a book just a year or two ago. I've done a lot of reading on Sabbath in recent years. Even in modern Israel today, an American that had been there commented, you don't realize what it's like to not hear trucks rumbling down the road and activity basically stop. That still happens basically in modern Israel today. Okay? So they knew what was going on. How's Jesus going to respond to this? This is where we see the Son of Man and the Sabbath. So notice, and we can learn a lot about how Jesus does this. Number one, Jesus doesn't go to the tradition. He goes back to Scripture. But he picks a really unusual Scripture. And we're going to see why he's driving at that, because the point in the scripture is not so much about Sabbath as it is about who Jesus is. So notice he says, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? And in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God, ate the consecrated bread, which was lawful only for priests to eat. And he gave, also gave some to his companions. So we have David, we have David doing something that seems to violate actual Torah, and in fact it does, and David is then giving it to his companions. Now, this is a story, you can actually read this in 1 Samuel 21, 1-7. David is fleeing from Saul. Saul is trying to kill David. Saul is the, the leader of Israel right now, but David is already the anointed king. God has already said David is the real king. I'm done with Saul. Okay, and uh, David is having to flee Saul because Saul is persecuting David, the anointed one, David, the king. And Jesus points out here, and again, I'm going to go into this. It's technically Ahimelech, who is Abiathar's father, that is the high priest at the time. And I'll go into why Jesus uses the other, because uh, Ahimelech dies shortly after 1 Samuel 21 because he gives the bread to David. Doeg the Edomite goes in and he slays him at Saul's word. Uh, he actually kills him. And so, but what's interesting is if you read the story, David, the anointed one, goes in and he lies 
I've been sent on a mission by Saul. This is a holy mission. So I know normally you wouldn't let me have the bread. No, actually, Torah says never could you have the bread. But I'm on a mission from the king, which he's not. And they still give David the bread, and he gives it to his companions. Okay, so it's really interesting. And what Jesus is pointing out is God doesn't say it was wrong for David to get the bread. Even though it actually went against Torah. Because there's a point that's being made here that the, the endless rules are not in line with the tenor and purpose of Scripture and God's law. And the, the tradition that had developed actually said this occurred on the Sabbath, this event in 1 Samuel 21. And the reason is, as David said, you know, when I go out on a mission, you know, how important is that? but how much more than today? And they said, well, he's commenting on today's a big day. It must have been the Sabbath. It doesn't say that, but that was the tradition. What Jesus is picking it up and what he's saying is, is look, if David could do this because he was the Lord's anointed and he could give it to his companions, I'm the Lord's anointed one. That's basically the claim that's going on here. So we're going to see the Son of Man and Sabbath. Jesus is doing it in a veiled way, but if David was allowed to do it, what about me? Am I not allowed to do that on the Sabbath day? Because David was simply a pointer towards me. But he does that in kind of a veiled way, and then he brings up a direct scripture about the Sabbath. And he goes back to say the original intent of Sabbath. See, David did this, and I'm telling you it's okay for us to do it. But here's the really more important point. You all have forgotten why Sabbath was given. See, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He cuts through all the oral tradition. And he goes back to the scripture to turn the meaning of Sabbath. And Jesus does this multiple times. He's asked one time about divorce because there's two different ideas regarding how often you can get divorced. And Jesus cuts through it all and says, have you not read in the beginning that God made them male and female? And for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. See, Jesus says, you're asking all the questions about your tradition and divorce. I'm asking you, what is marriage? That's how you answer the question about divorce. What is marriage? And he says the same thing here. You've got all these traditions. What is Sabbath? God didn't have Sabbath and say, hmm, I need some two-legged beings to run around and honor the Sabbath so I'll make man so they can honor the Sabbath. No. On day six, the final thing God does is make who? Us. People. And then what he gives them on day seven is Sabbath. And really, it's the first thing that Adam's kind of learning here. He's made on day six. His first full day is Shabbat. It is rest. And so Jesus says, don't you understand? 
all of your traditions, all of these rules you've built up, it's not just that you've added all these things onto Scripture. They're actually going against why it was there. All of these traditions, rather than making it a joy or making it a burden, because rather than recognizing that Sabbath was given as a gift, to man, you've made it as if man was given, and the whole thing is man's supposed to run around observing the Sabbath. You've got it all backwards. Sabbath is a gift and a joy. All of your traditions, all of your laws are turning it into burdens. In essence, what Jesus is saying is rubbing a few heads of grain did not violate God's gift of Sabbath, even if it violates your endless rules. The universe is not stopping because my disciples rubbed a couple of heads of grain, which is not prohibited in the Old Testament and does not in any way, shape, or form violate why the Sabbath was given. And then Jesus makes another pronouncement on top of it, which is verse 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. See, he's kind of bringing the two points together. I'm the true David. I'm the true anointed one. I tell you what Sabbath is about. And all of your rules are not what it's about. It is a gift. It is a joy from God to you. And so I, not the Pharisees, not these elders that you count to, I'm the one who interprets what is lawful on the Sabbath. That's what Jesus is claiming here. Very interesting, only the second time he uses son of man, in the Gospels. Um, but it's going to be his favorite title. And I want to remind us just briefly, why is he using Son of Man? Why doesn't he say the Messiah? Number one, it doesn't have the baggage of Messiah. When he says Son of Man, he's knocked them off their guard, which is a, which is a good practice to do. Number two, it's making them contemplate his actions and claims. He's already said that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost and, you know, and the, the things that he's coming to do. Now he's telling them, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. So they should be saying, wait, wait a second, who, who is the Son of Man? Who is it that he's claiming to be? But it also is because of the very title, Son of Man. Number one, it points to who Jesus is, the second Adam, the true Adam, the uh, fulfillment of God's call for all of humanity, and the Son of Man from Daniel 7, who is this character that is full of divine authority that goes up in Daniel 7, 13, and 14. You can read the phrase being used where this person has full authority. And so Jesus is saying, as the second Adam, as the one who fulfills the call of humanity, I'm here to tell you what Sabbath was for. I'm cutting the Gordian knot of all these rules you have built up and getting back to what this is. It's a gift from God. One of the commentators put it this way, because uh, this, this is what Jesus is really getting to. This statement that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath boldly affirms that as the Lord, the Son of Man is the one who decrees what is lawful and unlawful, permissible and impermissible, and any customs ordained by the Pharisees or their traditions are thereby rendered null and void. It is Jesus who makes plain the humanitarian purpose of the Sabbath, and his word is final. That last phrase we should remember regarding every topic, not just the Sabbath. His word is final. 
The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord of all. He's bringing this up to them. And again, we have to see, is this going to come up again and again in the gospel? The central issue is who Jesus is. When, as I said last week, when you put those spectacles on, everything falls into place. Everything comes into place. So how do we apply this today? When we're hearing this, what does this mean to us? I think there are two key things, and then we will come to our table of Sabbath rest. First question is not to look. I don't want us to look at the Pharisees and those bad people. I want us to ask ourselves a question. Do I see the danger of adding to God's word? This is a conflict that happens over and over. In many ways, you can almost sum up Jesus' conflict with the religious leaders of you keep adding to the word of God and I keep going back to the word of God. Do I see the danger of this? See, the problem is not the word of God. Jesus didn't say, well, the Sabbath was a bad idea. No, all the things you've added on to the Sabbath are a bad idea. It's not the word of God. It's the extra biblical traditions and rules that they had added to the word of God. Now, clearly, we need to understand the conflict. They claim these extra rules help people keep God's word. Jesus said, no, they don't. In fact, they're actually preventing people from keeping God's word. They, they're stopping people from actually truly receiving and obeying God's word. Now, I want you to think about what this means for us because it's not enough to say, oh, geez, those terrible people. Friend, friends, I wish believers didn't do it, but we are so tempted to do this exact same thing today. Okay? And, and I want to remind you before I, we put up a screen here in just a second, please, this is a good time for me to remind you. What are you responsible to do every week as I or another man stands up here and preaches the word of God? What do you have to do with what we're saying? Test it, test it, test it. It is not true because I say it's true. It's true because it's in the word of God. That is what matters. His word is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. Now, I, I am laboring, have always labored, will labor. I will not stand up here without having put in a lot of work to prepare to preach God's word. But I am telling you, you must test everything by the word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away. But his word will never pass away. Not one jot, not one tittle, not one dot of an eye, not one period is going to pass away. It is true. It is reliable. It is faithful. And when we start adding to it, we're getting ourselves in trouble. Okay? And this is what people do. God gives an exclamation point and we turn it into a question mark or even just into a period. Or we start speaking where God did not speak. So let me throw up here on the screen, I'm gonna put up four things that are the end result of adding to God's word. Number one, when they added to God's word, it caused them to forget the real purpose of the gift of Sabbath. 
They forgot why it was really there. They're so busy keeping all the rules, they were forgetting what was really going on. See, it's the same thing that Jesus said, all y'all's arguing about divorce in all these ways. You've forgotten what marriage is. This is, this is a problem. When we add to the word of God, we end up distorting the original purpose of why God gave it, okay? And that's exactly what happened here. They'd forgotten the real purpose of the gift of Sabbath. Number two, it turned a gift into a legalistic obligation. It turned a blessing into a curse and a joy into a burden. And I, I see a bunch of y'all taking notes. By the way, these are in the discussion guide, these points. So you can, you can look at them. I mean, it's fine. You can keep taking notes. I really appreciate that. But just letting you know, as you're trying to frantically do it, I'm not going to pull the screen away and you forget. They are there. So it's turning a gift into a legalistic obligation. Do you see what it is? Okay, God says, here is my gift. And our response is, so I can't tie a knot in my shoe? That's what you got out of that. Uh... I mean, it's like if, if, you know, I blessed one of my children and said, here's a car. Oh, God, you mean I got to go get the oil changed? So that's what you got out of that, huh? Seems like a strange response to a gift. But that's exactly what they've done. And it's because they added to the word of God. Thirdly, they became more committed to the rules not in Scripture than they were to the scripture itself. This is what happens. Show me people who keep adding to the scripture and eventually you have to choose one of them as supreme. This happened in the days of the Reformation. This is why in the Reformation, and we hold to this principle, it is sola scriptura. We believe in the word of God alone as the final authority. Does that mean we don't have traditions? No, we do have traditions. But it means we're not going to have a struggle. We're going to be very, very clear. The Word of God is the final thing. And if we can't point to the Word of God, then it's not binding. Okay? Because if you don't do that, and this is exactly what happened during the life of the church. It's happened many times. People become more familiar with the traditions and the extra-biblical things than they actually are with the Scripture itself. Jesus actually one time said, that, therefore, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your traditions. That's Matthew 15, 6. And he's speaking to these same people. And then the last thing is, their hearts were actually drawn away from God. Again, the claim was they're going to point you to God, but Jesus says, no, what actually happens is you've forgotten the real purpose of the gift. You've turned the gift into a legalistic obligation. You've become more committed to those things. And the end result is not that you got closer to God. You got further away. The Lord of the Sabbath is here, and you're arguing with me rather than receiving the gift. Now, to show why this is, and then I'm not making that phrase up, another time Jesus is going to have the same argument with the Pharisees about their traditions is in Mark 7. We'll come there probably a year from now or something. Um, hey, Jesus took three years to do Mark's gospel, so we can take two years to get through it, right? Um, notice in Mark 7, verses 5 to 8. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, 
Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? Notice again what it is. Uh, instead of eating their food with unclean hands, you've got to go through these ceremonial washings, which are commanded where in the scripture? Nowhere. Okay? And here's Jesus wanting friends and influencing people. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. Jesus is saying, line in the sand. This is the Rubicon. Here it is. You can't have it both ways. You're saying it's brought you close. I'm telling you it's turned your very worship into vanity. It has put you far away. You're moving your mouth, but your heart is not near to God. And Isaiah had already prophesied about this. He prophesied it to a people who were going into exile because of that. And here you are, centuries later, doing the same thing. Now, this is important because this can be a temptation for us today as well. It was not just a temptation for them. It's a temptation for us. Because, see, People can try to start getting around God's word. That's what started this. Remember, they didn't just decide to do it. It was that people kept trying to violate and get around, and they needed to do the Holy Spirit's work. And so they kept piling up all kinds of rules to get around it. And so as people try to do that, you know what there's a temptation for us to do? Oh, so you gotta, I'm going to build another wall over here, and I'm going to build another one. If you're not keeping God's word, I'll add another wall out here. See, that's not my job. And what it ends up doing is obscuring the word of God. Because here's the principle, friends. God's after your heart, Amen. not external rule keeping. This was a problem I had as a father early on. I was so, I know none of y'all have done this, but learn from my mistake. I was so focused on external behavior I was not paying attention to the heart. And thankfully, the Holy Spirit had a helper in my life named Linda, who was there to remind me sometimes of what I was doing. That it's not about policing external behavior. It's where are my kids' heart? What, what, what's going on there? Thankfully, God rescued me from some of that in time. But I want you to see, see that, that's our temptation. And I can remember, I'm going to give a little example here. My daughter, Stephanie, my princess, we were, she was in a soccer league. And let's just say Stephanie's heart was not in it. So I would tell her, listen, princess, we're going to go out and this half, daddy wants you to try and kick the ball a lot. How many times do I have to kick it, daddy? Daddy just wants you to kick a lot. No, Dad, how many times do I have to kick it? Okay, Daddy wants you to kick it four times. The match would start. The ball would come. <laughs> I don't think you're getting the point of this. <laughs> okay? But that was it. I'm going to do what you said. I'm going to do the bare minimum, and then I'm done. And we can laugh. My princess was like five. Do we do the same thing? Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive a man? Seven. Anybody want to bet 
who, that Peter just had something done the eighth time? Is that not our way? See, but God is after our heart. Do I know and love and walk with God? Or am I just trying to keep rules? Listen, I, I, when you come to an academy when you're 17 and then go in the Marine Corps, it does weird things to you. Okay? I like rules. I like structure. The, the letters OCD have been attached to me by people who know and love me. That is not how we walk with God. He wants my heart. He wants your heart. He wants to see you face to face. Do I let the Spirit search my heart and keep rigorously revealing idols and pointing me to Jesus? Or do I try to block him off and say, but I'm keeping the rule. I kept Sabbath. I didn't even tie that knot. I walked around with my shoe untied all day. Yeah, but you weren't finding rest in me. We can become experts. I've been walking with Jesus since 1978. I can get really good at even finding a Bible verse to justify and keep the Spirit from shining the light on me. And we can all do the same thing. Next thing, and then we come to the Lord's table. Do I receive the gift of Sabbath? I don't want us in the arguing over the traditions to, to miss what God is doing here. God is the one who gave us Sabbath as a gift. This wasn't their idea, it was God's idea. In our day, the danger is not all the extra rules we've added onto Sabbath, it's that we totally ignore Sabbath in the first place. And it's still part of creation. It's still part of us being part of the people of God both as a created being and as a redeemed follower of Jesus, we need Sabbath. And our culture completely ignores it, and friends, we're doing it to our own detriment and slow destruction. But God is after our hearts in this, not mere external rule keeping. Because usually when I brought Sabbath up to people, I started, well, can I do this and can I do that? Okay, you're in good training to be a junior Pharisee, but that's not what we're after here. The goal is he wants my heart. Okay, am I receiving that? So let, let me ask just a couple of questions when we come to the Lord's table. Do I have daily and weekly Sabbath when I just shut down and rest? Each day and especially each week. Not because I'm earning my salvation, not because I got to take, because I realize God's given this to me as a gift. Our culture is telling me no. It does not want me to slow down. But God's saying, Sabbath. Do I receive that? Do I receive uh, the gift of Sabbath, or is my soul shaped by our cultural obsession? with nonstop activity, efficiency, and productivity so that I can't rest. That's going to be the main after hours, exploring that question. But, but our culture is telling you your identity is in what you do. Okay? And it's an obsession. 
If I were writing seven deadly sins of today, I think efficiency would be one of them. Sabbath's not efficient. And I've read lots of books. I'll try. But if you take a rest on Sunday, you'll get more done on Monday. And only an American would think that way. That's not the point. It's not the point at all. Do, do I recognize I'm accepted? Not for what I do. Just because God loves me. In fact, we're going to come to this table in a minute and what, what, it, what am I bringing that I have done? Nothing. What are we going to spend eternity? Nothing. It's not about what I've done. This is a profound principle. But our culture is shaping us to not follow that. So we're going to come to this table of Sabbath rest. And I want to encourage you that we come to this table to rest from our works. And we come to this table to have our hearts renewed in the presence of Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. And we come to this table to receive refreshment and strength from Jesus, our Sabbath. And so I'm going to begin by reading a passage in the New Testament about Sabbath where the writer to Hebrews is showing how Jesus is superior. And he shows that Joshua, which is the same name as Jesus, the Joshua in the Old Testament didn't really give the people rest, even when they came into the land. And so the Word of God says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. What, a, what an unusual phrase. Let us make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Brothers and sisters, I want to invite you to the table today, the table of Sabbath rest. This table is open to anyone who comes resting from their own work. If you want to come and say, I'm here, Lord, look at what I've done, please do not eat. You'll eat and drink judgment, not grace. But if you come and say, I don't have any works that could possibly justify me being at this table anyway, then you are welcome to come and to be part, to receive from the Lord. And that's what I encourage us to do. Come rest. Receive the grace of our Lord. For I receive from the Lord what I pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Brothers and sisters, let's get ready to take the bread together.
let's just let the Holy Spirit speak to us for a minute. If there's any area where you've not been entering into the Lord's rest, let the Spirit reveal that to you before we come to the table. Father, we come to this table not based on our own works, but in the work of your Son, Jesus our Lord. For even the best of our works are stained by sin and fall short of your glory. But his works are complete and perfect in every way, sufficient to bring us full salvation now and forevermore. And so, Lord, we are here resting from our work, and we take this bread in faith, looking forward to our eternal rest as we celebrate around your table. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. Lord Jesus, as the Son of Man, you fulfilled our call of perfect obedience to the Father, completing the call of God for humanity. Where Adam disobeyed, was driven from paradise, and forced to work under the curse, you have obeyed, you have opened paradise, and you have entered perfect rest. And Lord, you offer that Sabbath rest to us as your people. So today, at this table, we rest from our works. We cease from our deeds and rest in your work for our justification. We cease from our strivings and rest in your work for our sanctification. And we cease from our labors and rest in your work as we look forward to our glorification. So we take this cup in faith, knowing that your blood has secured our place as your people, and it will keep us until we enter our final rest and we see you face to face. Take and drink. Let's stand together and cry out to the Lord asking the Holy Spirit, to seal this and work in us throughout this week. Lord, what a gift we have been given in Jesus our Lord. The rest we could never receive or earn under the law, we are given as a free gift of grace in him. So we ask now for the fullness of your spirit to be poured out upon us and stirred up within us. Lord, we ask that this week when we are tempted to turn back to our works to earn your favor or to create our own identity, may the Spirit point us again to Christ. May we draw upon his power this week rather than the power of our own flesh. May our hearts, which are ever restless apart from you, be drawn to you this week so that we find the true rest for which we have been made. Lord, we ask that you would do all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus, the Son of Man, the Lord of the Sabbath. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. You are blessed. Go forth and be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.